this infrastructure is coming and you should be prepared for it. This is episode 238 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. David Young, right-of-way manager for the City of Lincoln, Nebraska, has been on the show before to tell us about the city's investment in its extensive conduit network and fiber resources. This week, David's back to talk to Christopher about a new project that involves improving mobile wireless service throughout the city with small cell technology. Lincoln has recently entered into an agreement with a private provider, and thanks to resources that are already there, taking the next step to better service in Lincoln is a win-win for the entire community. David and Christopher go through the details and discuss how small cell technology is something local governments can be ready for. Hey folks, this is Chris Mitchell, the host of Community Broadband Bits, and I just wanted to ask you if you could do us a real big favor to help us spread this show around, and that's to jump on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you found this show, and to give us a rating, give us a little review, um, particularly if you like it. If you don't like it so much, then, then maybe don't do that, um, but if, you, if you're enjoying the show, please give us a rating and help us to build the audience a bit. Thanks. Now here's Christopher talking with David Young, right-of-way manager for the city of Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and today I'm back with David Young, the fiber infrastructure and right-of-way manager for the city of Lincoln, the Public Works Department. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, Chris. Thanks for having me back. Yes, I'm I'm very excited to have you back. I've I've always enjoyed our conversations, especially the off the record ones. Um and I'm hoping that uh, for people who maybe are turning in on their first show, um you can uh just give us a quick quick reminder of what Lincoln is like. I think a lot of people might think of it as just being cornfields. There is a lot of corn in Nebraska. Uh Lincoln, 250,000 people, uh, state capital, university, a seat. Um, exciting, growing population. Great place to live. Come visit us. I have. I really enjoyed it. I'll be coming back. <laughs> We're going to be talking, we talked before about your, we've actually done two different shows with you um, over the past uh, 13, 14 months talking about the the really great conduit system that you've um, built as a community. Um, and today we're going to talk a little bit about small cells, and there, there's some integration between them. Um, but let's just start off for people who might be thinking, small cells, my, my cell phone's already pretty small. What's a small cell? Our cell phones are very small. Those of us who are old enough to remember the old Motorola bag phones are pretty amazed. Yes. <laughs> you know, the conversations just start off with macro cells, right? The big cell towers. Uh, nobody wants them in their backyard. Those are the older technology. They cover generally 30 kilometers or about five miles in radius coverage area. Um, small cells are generally smaller antennas connected generally by fiber and cover about three-quarters of a mile uh, for coverage area. So if you put four small cells inside the five-mile coverage radius of a macro cell, you'll increase the efficiency of that macro cell by 75%. Uh, that, that's kind of the math on why carriers are going to small cells. They're easier to deploy. They're cheaper. Uh, a, small, a macro cell can cost you a uh, base rate, $250,000, and, and go up from there depending on where you're putting it. Um, a small cell can cost as low as $25,000 to put in. And we're talking about primarily wireless from the big wireless companies, uh, kind of mobile wireless rather than a uh, fixed wireless, right? Correct, correct. This is uh, specifically cell phone coverage. Um, 
uh, not to confuse uh, like Wi-Fi with wireless, but uh, this is licensed by the FCC frequencies, uh, Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, Sprint, uh, those kind of carriers, regional carriers uh, who license frequencies from the FCC and provide retail service over it. And is this 5G? I hear a lot of times people talk about small cell and 5G in the same breath. Uh, well, yes and no. Is it 5G? No. Is it laying the infrastructure for 5G? Yes. Uh, not to get too into the details, but 5G is based on the 5 gigahertz frequency. Or, uh, yeah, 5 gigahertz frequency. So, And above, I think. And above, right. And the distance that the higher frequencies travel uh, is shorter than, say, the 2.4 uh, megahertz range. So they can have, have a lot more information packed into them, but they can't go through trees or buildings as, as much. So what carriers are doing to, in advance of that is rolling out these smaller antennas, which are closer to the end user, so that when they want to change to, or when the technology is actually ready, it's, it's not ready yet, but when they want to change, uh, they can go out, replace the antennas, replace the radios, with uh, 5G compatible, and then start broadcasting the new frequencies. So, so this is laying the infrastructure for 5G, um, but 5G is several years away, as you know. Let's talk a little bit about why the city of Lincoln cares about small cells. Uh, you know, you're an employee of the city. Why have you gone to a lot of effort to make sure you had uh, these sorts of policies available that we're about to talk about? Well, uh, a couple of things. Uh, starting in 2012, the uh, city adopted a broadband master plan. Um, we wanted to have carriers, diverse carriers for businesses. We wanted to have diverse carrier choices for uh, residents, including a fiber to the home project. And the third leg of that program was mobile broadband, making sure that the infrastructure was available um, for carriers to come in and upgrade for the next uh, 25 years of mobile broadband in Lincoln. Uh, so... Obviously, our conduit system downtown was focused on businesses. Uh, our fiber-to-the-home broadband franchise was focused on residential, and now our small cell program is really catered to uh, allowing carriers to come into Lincoln, have one rule book to play by, and deploy as fast as possible and invest their money in Lincoln. So let's just dig into that a little bit, and let's just pretend that I'm Verizon. Um, I come to the city, and I say I'd like to deploy X number of small cells, um, and I'm imagining the uh, city as a Roman emperor just thumbs up or thumbs down. Um, you know what, what actually goes on to the process behind there? And actually, it might make sense to start with just a sense of, are we talking about hundreds of cells, thousands of small cells? What's the, the universe of, of the size? So we expect in 2017 to have uh, between 50 and 100 installed in Lincoln. Uh, it depends on if we have two carriers or three carrier partners. Um, overall, over the next five years, we expect uh, more than 400 to be installed around the city. Uh, we think we'll cap out uh, probably at five or 600 total in the city of Lincoln. Um, and that's when our population grows up to about 300,000. And that, that, that number, several hundred, you know, of 500 um, cell, small cells, that is considerably more cells than you've had before. I mean, you mentioned that the macro towers go quite far, but, um, you know, this would be a significant increase over this kind of permitting from historical norms, right? Yes, it would be. Uh, and we've, we're planning for that. Um, we have been planning since the beginning on our broadband. Part of the issue was uh, you can make yourself as attractive as possible, business-friendly, and reach out to the community and have a single point of contact. But if you can't get permits through quickly, 
there's going to be a problem for everybody on the execution side of the agreement. Um, we consolidated all of our permits uh, into one office, a uh, Development Services Center, DSC, started in 2011, actually. And so uh, we created uh, a right-of-way permitting process uh, where we have standards. If it's submitted by a licensed professional engineer in the state of Nebraska, then generally uh, you get your permit in two days. Uh, the engineer has gone through, done the work, validated that where you're putting your underground or area facilities will fit with the city's comp plan and then move forward quickly. Uh, with small cells, there's the additional problem or challenge of dealing with aesthetics. So we have a capital environs committee. So if you're building in any of the visual corridors that view the capital building, uh, you have to go before this committee, and small cells will go before that committee where they are located in those corridors. Uh, we also have an urban design committee for anything in downtown, and we have a historical preservation committee for historical areas. Um, generally, those committees are always focused on the aesthetics of any visual improvement. So building underground conduit, they really don't care. They're actually quite happy with that, and I have a good relationship with those committees. Um, but putting in small cells, uh, especially on an ornate pole or something like that, uh, is a challenge. Uh, what I'd like to jump back to, though, if I can, uh, why this is a big deal for cities um, some carriers are coming in and saying it's a small cell. It's small. Uh, in general, the amount of equipment uh, can weigh between 250 and 300 pounds that they're putting on these poles. Those poles are, um, you know, they can vary, obviously, but um, you're talking about a significant amount of weight that can be 20 feet up, and so that creates um, some hazard potentially. Correct. So, so that's from a city's perspective on the safety side. That's why it's a big deal. So uh, some version of this, if a carrier comes in and asks to retrofit uh, your pole, and uh, are they taking on the liability if that pole falls down uh, because they added 250 pounds to, to a pole that was not designed for it? Uh, in Lincoln, we require, as part of our small cell agreement, that the pole be replaced with a pole that is designed uh, for small cell applications, and it is double the diameter. Uh, most of our poles are, are six inches, and this is a, an, an eight-inch, so I say double, but it's an eight-inch uh, diameter pole, significantly stronger, significantly thicker sidewalls, designed specifically to hold this weight for 25 years, uh, which is the life expectancy we have for these poles in Lincoln. I, I'm always cautious when some communities say they do retrofit, some say they require new poles. It's a very nuanced discussion. If you have concrete poles and you don't mind uh, conduits and wires strapped to the outside of them, okay, maybe small cells uh, attached to your pole is the thing to do for your community. Um, but uh, in a dense urban environment or urban environments where you have a lot of cars, um, I, I think that it's, it's from, from Lincoln's perspective, putting in a pole that was designed to hold the weight of this equipment was uh, paramount. And so that was what we have included in our agreement. And I, as we start talking about this agreement that you've recently signed with Verizon, which I expect is a template agreement, we'll see you signing with other carriers as well in the future. Um, I don't get the idea that Verizon thought that was unreasonable. In some ways, I suspect that they would like the ability to standardize on a single pole and things like that. That was the one thing that they really did like, is if we would agree to a single pole design um, for the majority of the city, and uh, we did, and they actually assisted us in the design of the pole. 
the full cost is about $2,600, and their equipment cost is 25000 So adding 10% to the equipment cost for them was, was not a deal breaker. Um, and they, they felt they would get uh, more reliability from a pole design specifically to support this load than having to go out if it was knocked down or, or otherwise fell down and, and deal with that issue. So uh, they were very amenable to that. Now, the, the standard pole design we have fits about probably 90% of our poles. Uh, the other 10% are historical and uh, entertainment district, capital environments poles, and those are excluded, uh, but there's a process where they can go get approval for those areas because we want them to deploy this technology. Um, we just want to do it in a, a safe and considerate manner. Well, and I think it's it's worth noting a couple of things, just key details that um, I want to make sure people really got, and that's that we're talking about light poles. We're not talking about utility poles uh, that hold like lines and wires and things like that. These are light poles. Not a street light pole, so it's not a like a traffic pole, it, it is specifically for lighting the roadway. Uh, it doesn't have the, the red, yellow, green lights on it, if you will. So those are two different styles of pole, traffic pole versus streetlight pole. Right. And then the the other piece is that um, in the downtown area, you have banners on it, which um, will be pretty nice. So one way to cover, so there's two components to a small cell generally. There, there can be more. Um, the radio, which is a suitcase-sized a piece of equipment that is attached to the side of the pole. Generally, there are two of them, one for each frequency. And then there's the antenna. Um, many pe- people see them as flat antennas. Um, and what we have in our design is called a cantenna. If you think of a stovetop hat uh, put on the top of the pole. Ah, city of Lincoln with a stovetop hat. Yes, yes, I know. Very original. <laughs> <laughs> which you can put three antennas inside that cantenna. And as antenna technology changes, you can actually put more of them in there. Although those would be still from a single provider. You're not going to get AT&T and Verizon sharing that is what you've told me. Correct. Um, Co-location on poles, while desirable from certain perspectives, is not desirable from every perspective. Each carrier has their own frequencies. Those frequencies uh, carry attenuate differently, right? And they are on different macro towers around the city. The carriers attenuate their signals attenuate differently, and what the technology is right now, you could end up with 500, 600 pounds of equipment on a single pole. Um, basically, taking a macro cell tower and shrinking it, um, but not having an aesthetic improvement. Uh, there are several examples where Chicago did something like this a couple of years ago. If you get on the internet and look up you know, Chicago small cell uh, co-location, you'll see some pictures. It's not very pretty. It definitely does not meet the aesthetic bar that we were looking for. Um, so allowing carriers to pick from any of our 40,000 poles, uh, we're, we're very uh, non unconcerned about which pole you choose as long as it's outside one of our sensitive areas. Uh, and put your equipment up, very fast process. You agree to the pole design that is in the uh, agreement, and go forward and grow your infrastructure. That's specifically what we wanted. So um, what we did not want was a shrunken down version of a macro cell on the street corner with 60 antennas on it. Right. One of the things that, that you've told me before is that, you know, as we're thinking about what Verizon gets out of this agreement, um, 
their ability to rapidly deploy, I think, is, is very important, right? They have a standardized design. They have a sense that when they put in a permit, you'll turn around pretty quickly and they'll be able to get it out there. Correct. Our, our permit process for small cells is uh, we took two existing process, our administrator review process, which we use for uh, most of our planning, uh, which is actually run by the planning department. So planning events when you're wanting to come in and do uh, a new building downtown or you know, a, a force main sewer for development, you go through the administrative review process. Uh, and then the second process is right-of-way construction, which is just a, a two-day permit to get your permit. The, uh, by utilizing existing processes to run this through, the planning department reviews uh, the small cell application. Uh, is it in a sensitive area, yes or no? Are you using the standard poll, yes or no? Um, if you're proposing uh, no to sensitive areas and yes, you're using the standard poll, uh, you should get your permit back in less than 10 days. Very quick turnaround. And then uh, on the right-of-way construction side, uh, we process 500 right-of-way construction permits a year right now uh, with our fiber to the home project. So uh, we'll just stick it in there. We're not worried about another uh, 50 or 100 permits in that in that queue. Let's talk about the the I think the area that I'm I'm more interested in that a lot of folks are more interested in, which is what does the community get out of this agreement in in terms of uh, the way you've set it up? You know, the most important thing for us with the uh, broadband community plan was to get better coverage and more investment by private partners than Lincoln. Um, Lincoln and many other communities our size are competing with Houston, Texas, Chicago, um, New York City for investment dollars. So we need to deploy and make ourselves uh, able to have carriers deploy this infrastructure in our community affordably, um, but not uh, in a way that compromises our principles or agreements that we have with existing carriers. So for us, the single most important thing is getting better cell coverage in Lincoln, period. Uh, that's the reason we went into this in advance of being reached out to by any carriers. Going from an average of 12 to 15 megabits a second on a good day to uh, 150 to 180 megabits a second on a small cell day. As a uh, mobile customer myself, I'm pretty excited about that. This this seems like one of those things that um, people don't always appreciate, which is that you know a company like Verizon is trying to figure out where are we going to invest, and in, in even it's not just necessarily the entire United States, but they might look regional, and so you know Lincoln wants to be getting that better technology than Omaha. You want to make it easier, and hopefully you'll get it and have better coverage than Omaha has. Right, and you know broadband is pervasive in our life these days, um, and it's very painful uh, when you travel and go to a place that does not have that. Um, it really brings into focus how much we become reliant on this technology. I can imagine it's you know the rollout of the telephone in the 1900s. Uh, the minute you get it, you didn't know what you were living without it. Competing with other care, other places, getting the investment here in Lincoln is kind of the overarching goal. Um, there are several benefits uh, that we have as part of our agreement, uh, which we think are mutual benefits actually for both the carrier and the city uh, when this infrastructure goes in. Um, there's fiber for the city placed inside the pole and from our conduit system to the pole. Um, there's power in the pole for uh, public applications. Uh, there is uh, what we call a public access port uh, on the pole, which is a standard opening size uh, that is designed to connect 
either cameras or public Wi-Fi or uh, like smart radar for vehicle-to-vehicle communication. That's uh, included as well, so we will be able to cook up those uh, applications directly to our public network uh, as soon as the poll is installed, really. Some of the geekier folks, um, you know, the utility-minded folks might be looking at. I mean, there's some things like um, Verizon will have to take on the cost of maintaining the pole if, um, if uh, presumably lightning hits it or a car drives into it or something. Um, if that happens to a regular pole, your utility has to fix it. But um, if it happens to a pole that Verizon's replaced, then it's on them. Well, and that's, you know, you have a, a 12-page contract and there's all kinds of details in there. Uh, maintenance of the pole is the responsibility of the carrier who leases the pole. So if it does get knocked down or needs to be painted, uh, that maintenance cost is on the person leasing the pole, uh, but the city still owns the pole. Uh, in return for that, um, the carrier gets the speedy deployment and to get to choose their own pole. So the city is really not active in saying, we want you to choose this pole versus that pole. Um, from a philosophical perspective, we're letting the engineering dictate where the pole goes, not the business case, uh, because it's the same price wherever they choose to build their pole. Uh, so we want good coverage. And then a few of the other things that are included in the agreement are security. Uh, they have a $50,000 letter of security with the city that if there's ever a problem, we contact them, and if they don't respond, um, we will uh, go out do the work to remove the uh, equipment and then charge their letter of security. So that kind of protects us as well. So we're not exactly concerned about it. Um, I know there's been instances where uh, people are concerned, uh, other communities are concerned, you know, what happens in 10 or 15 years when this technology is depreciated and uh, they decide they want to move to another area and do something else, how do they get rid of the equipment? That covers us uh, from a risk standpoint to get that equipment removed. You know, for us, I think the most important thing is we're taking an asset that was costing us money um, and repurposing it for provisioning of services so that our citizens get better cell coverage and faster uh, cell coverage. And we get no maintenance costs for the pole. We get the partnership and investment and jobs that are created by developing and deploying this infrastructure. Um, and we get a few nice things like fiber and maintenance costs of the pole, power, and uh, a little bit of money on the end. Yes, um, and and, I, and so just to be clear, there's a there's an upfront fee to for Verizon to apply, and then there's a recurring fee for every year that they're on the pole. Um, that's correct, and uh, we want, uh, we expect, we want, we designed this uh, program specifically to be carrier neutral. Uh, Verizon was the first one to work with us. We are very uh, hopeful that AT and T or uh, T-Mobile Sprint will come as well, and we are actually working with one of those carriers right now uh, to sign another agreement. Um, the city charges uh, 19.95, so just under $2,000 a year rent to attach to the pole, and then there is a $1,500 permit fee, and that $1,500 permit fee covers uh, actually quite a bit, going out, looking at the pole, site visits, uh, multiple site visits, communicating with the property owners adjacent to the pole, uh, and then, uh, so at you know, $100, you know, $2,000 a year, you have 100 poles, you have $200,000 a year. It's not that much. Uh, but over the next five or six years, when you get into four and 500 poles, uh, it's a million dollars a year, which is not a, not a bad program to have for a city for taking something that was costing us money and turning it into something that 
is achieving multiple goals. Well, I think one of the things that people don't always realize, I just saw this story out of the uh, the research triangle in North Carolina where um, there's been some challenges with some of the entities that are working in the right-of-way having damaged other people's equipment and not uh, restoring things the way they should be. Those are the sorts of things the city has to be able to check on, and that costs money to send people out there and do those um, investigations, right? There's no philosophy behind it, but the city is obligated to... Uh, managed construction that occurs in the public right-of-way. So that management of the right-of-way um, can be very limited in some areas. Uh, it can be very robust in others. If you can imagine somebody digging in downtown New York City, uh, that's probably a very sensitive <laughs> area to dig in. <laughs> or Washington, D.C. <laughs> Versus, you know, the western part of our city, which uh, is, is cornfields, right? We don't have a lot of infrastructure out there. Aha! I knew it. You had cornfields in Lincoln. <laughs> they don't cost the corn... Uh, Huskers for nothing. You know, there's 250,000 people in Lincoln, and Lincoln is not a big city, uh, so it is a very urban environment, uh, digging downtown uh, in the middle of the street, and I can tell you, you will get a lot of phone calls very quickly uh, due to traffic backup. So basically having enough money, $1,500 is not a lot of money. I mean, it's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money uh, to go out, send inspectors multiple times, coordinate the excavation of the pole base, uh, pouring a new pole base, erecting a new pole, putting on the new LED light fixture, uh, and getting everything turned up, that's not a lot of money. Uh, we, we expect you know, two to four weeks for each one of these to be installed, uh, construction timeline. Well, and this is something that I want to just um, touch on quickly and move on to the final question because of uh, time running short. But um, the things you just noted, there are laws proposed in several states uh, in which uh, localities would not be able to recover those costs. And um, in the past, um, that is something that I've argued, and I know, and I'm, I'm pretty sure others have agreed. I think you agree. Um, if a state is going to limit that, then basically that's a shift to taxpayers. And, um, and it's you know, one might say, well, we were so excited about small cells that we want taxpayers to subsidize it. But I don't actually think that's an argument that many people would say, given the profitability of the telephone companies today. <laughs> uh, not very many people I know of would want to would want that. So um, but they, they have a bill proposed in Nebraska as well that does the same thing. It doesn't allow the city to cost recover for inspection. It doesn't allow the city to charge rent for the poll. I think it's challenging in that the carriers want to move quickly and uh, and deploy this infrastructure in advance of 5G. I, okay, I agree, I get it. From a city's perspective, we feel it's our competitive advantage by being ready and having the agreements and actually actively pursuing these investment dollars. What I do have a problem with is when carriers, small businesses come in, and these are not small businesses, um, come in and say, we want the taxpayer to subsidize the, the deployment of our infrastructure, which we make a profit on. Um, if you're going to pay the taxpayer back, fine. I have no problem with that. Um, but if you're creating an unfunded mandate at the state level for municipalities to hire people to manage this construction and then uh, in an area of declining municipal revenues, that's tough. Uh, I, I don't know of any municipality that just has additional positions laying around uh, to go out and inspect projects like this, especially specialized positions. Um, but uh, I, I guess we'll have to see if the state legislatures agree. 
Right. And I think it's it's worth noting that um, I don't want to cast the, the big uh, wireless companies uh, totally under the bus in the sense that, um, you know, there are areas that I, I've heard of where communities reject towers and then they have poor cell service and they're frustrated. Um, you know, to some extent, let's hope that small cells uh, properly designed will mitigate that because uh, they'll be less, uh, less um, aesthetically displeasing. Um, but to some extent, we do have to recognize we cannot have it all. <laughs> we have to make sure the wireless companies are able to build the infrastructure they need if we're going to get good service. And and that's where I think Lincoln's setting a good example. And I want to end by asking you for advice to other communities um, that are looking at this and trying to figure out what kind of policies or what kind of mindset even they should have um, to make sure that they can balance public needs with the needs of the wireless companies. Well, I think that two things. Um, one, I think you should realize as a community that this infrastructure is coming and you should be prepared for it. Um, there are so many resources out there today. Um, the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, uh, Next Century Cities. Those sound like really wonderful groups that people should support. They, they are wonderful groups. <laughs> and, you know, they have draft agreements. I, I think there's really almost no excuse not to have an agreement uh, in draft form, some, a place to start when a carrier comes to you now. Uh, there's been so much talk about small cells and the deployment of small cells that um, right-of-way managers, uh, IT directors uh, should have this information uh, at least you know, in their law department being reviewed. Uh, any one of the several draft agreements out there, I think San Francisco, Boston, uh, Dallas, uh, ours, um, you just pick one of the draft agreements and at least have a starting place uh, to have a discussion. Uh, I, I don't think that telling the carrier come back to me in six months or a year is viable because they have customers they need to serve, and, and this is an impediment to them improving the service and being competitive uh, with the other carriers in the market. And you've you've already mentioned that you are um, discourage uh, using existing poles. You think it makes a lot of sense to find ways of getting properly designed poles in there. Um, so I don't think we have to rehash that. But um, do you have any recommendations in terms of um, the processes that need to be created? I would use existing processes if possible. Um, and so creating new processes for a city can be can be painful. Depends on your court, uh, culture, but. Uh, Using existing process, the, we repurposed the administrative plan review process for uh, small cell reviews, and we just created a new category within it. It follows the exact same workflow, the exact same people see it, um, and we've had education with those staff getting ready for this permit. And then uh, on your construction side, uh, construction permits, um, having been doing this for 16 years now in the construction space, uh, they should be easy uh, to to get, um, but the follow-through should be significant. So I can come in and ask for a permit. That's great. If I have an engineer stamp it or whatever your municipality requires, fine. Um, but if I don't do what I say I'm going to do, then uh, the penalties are, are pretty significant. And I think that way you put the onus on the business to actually get out there and do what they say they're going to do. And I think that's what businesses want. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on once again and uh, and tell us some more about what Lincoln's up to. Um, really is a, a great place. Strongly recommend people uh, swing through if you're nearby. Um, thanks again. Oh, thank you for that, Chris. Good to talk to you. That was Christopher and David Young, right-of-way manager for the city of Lincoln, Nebraska. 
They were discussing the community's new small cell technology project. Learn more about Lincoln at muninetworks.org where we've written about their investments. You can also hear David talk with Christopher in episodes 228 and 182 of the podcast. We have transcripts for this and other Community Broadband Bits podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. You can follow Christopher on Twitter. His handle is at communitynuts. You can also follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and all of the podcasts in the ILSR family on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Never miss out on our original research? Subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. Thank you to Admiral Bob for the song Turbo Tornado, licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to episode 238 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. <laughs>